the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 17 through 27. And he, Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him, and they healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So when I first read chapter 6 of Luke in preparation for this sermon, this is the part that stood out to me. These blessings and these woes. Not because they seem like good news to me, but because they almost seem like bad news. So I decided, of course, that that's what I had to study to talk to you all. It seemed to me that I was not among those that Jesus said were blessed. I was among those that he said, woe to you, too. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. I am not poor. I've had times of little money, but I've always been taken care of. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. I've never been hungry like that. Blessed are those who weep now, for you shall laugh. I have wept and cried, but that is not my normal state. Blessed are you when others hate you, exclude, revile you because of Christ. I've had people avoid me or not befriend me because of this, but I've never been hated or reviled. And then on to the woes. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. I'm not exactly rich, but compared to most of humanity, I am. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. I am not, my belly is full. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. I love laughing, and if I don't laugh in a day, I think it's a hard and bad day. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Generally, people do speak well of me, and as a people's pleaser, I want them to, and I strive for that. So here it is. I am not among those receiving blessings, but among those receiving woes. And that's tough. Matthew's account of this sermon is much easier to swallow. His blessings and woes are not of those who are physically wanting, but spiritually in need. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are poor in spirit. Who are merciful, peacemakers, and meek. Most of the sermons I've heard on this topic follow Matthew's account rather than Luke's. And when I was researching these sermons, almost all of the research was on Matthew's account and not Luke's. And I think especially for the Western world, 
Matthew's account is easier for us to relate to. Spiritually poor, yes, I can relate. I can visualize myself that way. Actually poor, not so much. So then what? This text seems pretty straightforward. It seems like we don't even need to look in the background or the context of what was said. Like what could background knowledge actually change? Blessed are the poor. It's straightforward. But as usual, some information is helpful. So let's first go to the ancient Mediterranean world. Their society was one of honor and shame. Money gave a person power and honor. The wealthy, the blessed have money, prosperity, happiness, and good fortune. They do not want for food. Their bellies are full. They can live in comfort, and they don't necessarily need God to provide these needs for them. The word blessing in this passage, it was the same one that was used to describe these people, these wealthy upper-class people. Verses in the Old Testament even support this viewpoint that the wealthy are blessed. In Proverbs, the poor are thought to have brought poverty onto themselves through laziness and through their own irresponsibility. And I would even say we have this viewpoint today. Those who have money and power, we give them honor. For instance, we give more power to the person who inherited and now owns a wealthy business rather than the person who began her own cleaning business and cleans that same business. If we were to have a board of directors, we would ask that CEO and not the person cleaning to join the board. And I would say Christianity is even subject to the idea that those who have money are blessed, like the prosperity gospel, where God favors those he loves by supplying all of their needs. This idea that money equals power, goodness, intelligence, honor, is not something from another era or culture. We intrinsically follow this too. But Jesus flips it upside down and calls the poor blessed. The same word that society used in Jesus' time to describe the wealthy, Jesus uses to describe the poor, those who don't have enough money to fill their belly with food. And he says they are blessed. They are the ones who have power and honor and goodness, he says. And this is a continuation of a theme we see over and over for Jesus in the Gospels. He came to talk to the poor, the sick, the prostitutes. Jesus flips our notions of success, our markers of God's blessing. We see someone whose life is going smoothly and have money and think they're doing it right. That must be God's way. Jesus sees people who are suffering and says, your suffering is not your fault and it won't last forever. And you are loved. Now we're going to go back into the passage itself, and this time being mindful of the ways that Jesus is reversing our assumptions about who is blessed. One first thing of note is he is talking to his disciples. In Luke 6, it reads, He lifted up his eyes to his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor. And then he said, Woe to you who are rich. He's not talking about they who are rich or they who are poor. He's talking to and about those who are actually his disciples. In this, he's not saying that these blessings and woes are a means or exclusion of salvation. He's talking to his people, saying who among them is actually blessed and who among them is actually poor and in misery. For the word, or not poor, just in misery. For the word woe here means a deep and inconsolable misery, not just a mere misfortune. 
A second thing of note is you may have noticed these blessing and woes mirror each other. For each blessing, there is a matching woe. And in that, Jesus isn't talking about four or eight different types of people, but generally two different categories, the wealthy and the poor. It says, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He starts with this one. To him, this is very important. The poor, those that are typically left out, are those that are important. One of the church fathers, Ambrose, wrote that being poor isn't necessarily a virtue. It doesn't make you happy. It's actually neutral. But what it does is it allows one to be more aware of your need and dependence on God. Which goes into why Jesus finished with saying, for yours is the kingdom of God. Being poor forces you to rely on God rather than your own means to supply your needs. Jesus is therefore saying, the kingdom of God is this, relying on God for your needs. The next two blessings are about things that will be fixed. You're hungry now, you will be filled. You're crying or weeping now, you will laugh. God is here for you, you will be taken care of. It's beautiful and it's comforting. And it shows that God is with his people in the hard times. The blast blessing says that when you are persecuted, be glad because you are part of the tribe of God. And then do not reciprocate that persecution with hatred, but be filled with joy in God. And this is the same word that was used when John leapt for joy in Elizabeth's womb. It's pure, it's given by God, and it's fulfilled by God. And then Jesus turns to the woes. And as he said before, this woe is a deep and inconsolable misery. His woe to the rich. This is a rich with a negative slant to it. Like if we talk about the, the top 1%. Those that are far more, have far more than they need, and they seem to hoard it from others. Their wealth seems unjust. Woe to the fool. All again, this is in a negative sense. It's like bloated or stuffed. Far more food than anyone needs. Woe to those that laugh. Laughing can be positive, but it can also be negative, which is what it's thought to mean here, like a laughing as in scoffing or laughing down at, somebody, at the misfortune of others. Woe to you that speak, um, who all people speak well of, which means they're putting their honor, their need for others to speak well of them above following Christ above following the kingdom. Contrarily, in the blessing sections, he tells his disciples they are blessed when they give up their honor to follow him. And remember, these woes aren't a condemnation, but rather letting them know that these riches they rely on are temporary and can disappear. They are not actually blessed, but in misery, because they are resting on their own abilities rather than God. In the kingdom of God, you must rest on God rather than rest on wealth. These blessings and woes aren't hoops to jump through or over in order to be saved. It is not a command to be poor if you want to receive any blessing. Rather, it is a reminder to trust God more than circumstances, to look at humanity like God looks at us, rather than how society teaches us to look around at each other. The poor are, in many ways, not so badly off as they appear. In fact, in many ways, they are prepared to receive the blessings of Christ's coming kingdom. The rich, on the other hand, are not so well off. The upside-down kingdom of Jesus is not good if your sense of blessing depends on living at the top of the pyramid. Your misery is coming. 
So in my, my hometown, had a really good theater. Growing up, I participated um, by being in plays and going to a lot of theater workshops. And one of the lessons I remembered really well and remember grappling with in my Christian faith uh, was the idea of power structures. We were told to look around the stage at the other characters and figure out what the power structure was like. Which of the characters was in charge? Which was at the bottom? Where did your character fit into the structure? And how did that affect your interactions with others? And they said, this is what we do in real life too. And I remember trying to figure out these power structures in my daily life. I'd look at a situation around me, figure out what the power structures were like and where I fit into them, and then view how that changed my interactions with them. But this is not what Jesus wants for the kingdom he is building. He doesn't want the world to be situated in pyramids with some people ruling and controlling from the top, while others push around to try to climb up, or maybe they're just sinking further down. That is not God's way. God's way is shown in the story of Christ, even before his birth. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a beautiful example and a teller of this. In her song, The Magnificent, in Luke chapter 1, she describes this, singing, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mary was not from the blessed society of wealth and power. She, by those standards, should not have been chosen to raise God's child. But God chose Mary. And in this song, she recognizes this and praises God, who will fill the hungry with good things and send the rich away, who will bring down the powerful from their thrones and raise up the lowly. And this is the exact sentiment Jesus talks about to his disciples in the passage we're describing or examining. This is what some call the great reversal, the flipping of the world upside down, showing that to God, the poor, the humble, those of lowly estate are important and blessed. So back to my original question and the reason I chose to study this passage. Where am I? Am I among those God says woe to or to those God says are blessed? And what can I now do that I've studied this? I do indeed have some of what the world says calls blessing. I have enough most of the time to not rely on God. I have some of this worldly power, this kind of blessing that can lead to woe. So now what? Jesus has said that his world, the kingdom of God, is one where the lowly are exalted and the powerful are humbled. When I start to think of the world as a stage, ordered by those with wealth and power at the top and those without at the bottom, and then I need to give more honor to those with wealth and power and ignore those without, I can stop myself and try to reorient my life to what God says. I can remember that Jesus does not follow the normal orientation that power equals blessing. And if I stop relying on God to supply my basic needs, I can remember that this is a practice of misery and not one which leads to God's kind of blessing. Jesus has flipped our understanding of the world, and I can view that flipped world not as upside down and backwards, but as normal. This flipped world is a kingdom of God, and I can choose to live in it.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May you know that he is gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And may he bring you peace. So go in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the world and serve each other joyfully.